you know, it's so important as we read the word that we interpret it through the finished work of Jesus. You know, the word says that the, the law came through Moses, but the fullness of grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He didn't just tell us about it. He came. And because he came, we have hope, right? Uh, I always think it's funny. I was at a worship service and uh, I heard a guy say this and I'm not picking on him. He was doing a good job actually, but he said, I'm so glad that when we get together, because you come, because we sing or when we sing, you come. And I had this thought, I thought, well, how much do I have to sing to get him to come? <laughs> and I thought a gospel oriented statement would be more like we, we come, we're here because you came and you're here. So I want you guys to enter into today with that mentality that we're here because he came and he's here. So whatever your need is, man, he's here today to meet your need. No matter how big or how small the group is, man, he's here. Um, and that's why we're here. If we're coming for anything else, we might as well stop coming, right? We're not coming for, for anything else. We're not coming for man's opinion or people. We're coming for, to, to encounter him and that's the desire. So I'm going to just pray over us, and then we'll jump in. Does that sound good, guys? Sure. Father, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you came and you're here. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that we can cast our cares on you because you care for us. And so we now humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And, Lord, we just commit ourselves to your hands to say, Lord, exalt us, strengthen us, restore hope and joy. God, renew the weary one here today, God. Um, we just say and, and receive your peace. You said, my peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, for I have overcome the world. So, Father, we just pray that that overcoming spirit would fall on these men. God, that these men would be so super abundantly satisfied by the richness of the gospel of Jesus that they would leave here and feed the world with your message. Um, we love you, and we thank you that, that, that you first loved us. So... We just ask your blessing over our time in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, I'm going to just say a few things to uh, kind of set the tone. Uh, Dudley kind of, or uh, Doyle kind of gave a, a, a name. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to carry it, but we all liked it. He said, our, our Wednesday meetings is kind of like gospel man food. And we were like, yeah, well, let's go after some of that, right? Uh, that's, we, want to, we want the gospel to be proclaimed. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for the preaching of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, right? So it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. So um, that's really what we want to press into on Wednesdays. If it's relating to what's happening in the world to the gospel or interpreting the Bible through the gospel or proclaiming the gospel, that's the power of God that will change your life. It's not what you do. Uh, it's not your brand of church. It's not Whatever, it's the gospel of Jesus, and, and that's it. So that's what we're going after. I love this quote by D.L. Moody. I thought it would paint a, a good picture to start with. Um, here's what D.L. Moody said. He said, The thief had nails through both hands so that he could not work, and a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot toward his salvation, and yet Christ offered him the gift of God, and he took it. Amen? We could just lay that on the table and we could leave. <laughs> That's enough, right? But th there's a lot said in that statement. He couldn't lift a hand or a foot. In fact, the thief said to the other thief, you know, why do you accuse him? For we're guilty. He's not. And he said, would you remember me when you enter into your kingdom? And he said, today, today you'll be in paradise with me. Today. And I thought, man, if that was just, if that's all we could utter is today, Lord, would you remember me? He said, today you'll be with me. 
So there's a reality of what was paid for that we have the opportunity to enter into. And I think that we miss that a lot of times. I'm going to, I'm going to throw out, uh, a lot of us have heard many sermons probably on the farming principles, right? You guys familiar with what I'm talking about? Reaping and sowing. And the word does say that, uh, and you know, as long as the earth exists, seed time and harvest will remain. And that's not a bad thing. Um, but I also think that when we talk about principle living, while it's better to live with a principle than without one, it can oftentimes take us back to a lower level of life than is what is, what is available to us in Christ. What I mean by that is a principle allows you to work God more efficiently if you're not careful. A principle also, um, what it would allow you to do, you still will only get out to some degree what you put in, right? But the gospel's nature is so entirely different that we're talking about reaping where you didn't sow. We're talking about entering into the labors of another. That's entirely different. There's a lot of passages where God says, I'm about to give you houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant. Remember the parable of the talents? He said, I knew you were a hard man. You reaped where you didn't sow. <laughs> so I'm asking, <clears throat> I'm asking you, what if the invitation of the gospel <clears throat> is to enter into what Jesus sowed? To stand on and live from what he labored for. Has that thought occurred to you or do you think you need to repeat his behavior to maybe have the opportunity to enter into that? <laughs> because that's not the gospel. The gospel is, it's kind of like every dad, right? You want your kid's uh, floor to be your ceiling. Jesus made that available through his life at the cross. He doesn't want us to live heading to the cross, but he wants us to live living from the cross. And so that's a, it's quite different. Uh, living from the labors of another is quite different than laboring yourself to enter into something, right? Um, Jesus is our tree of life. I say this all the time for the guys that have heard me talk about this over and over again, hear it again, because there's a lot of guys that haven't. But in the garden, there were two trees. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Uh, and they represent a lot of different things. But um, what I want to say right now is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represented religion and rebellion. They both flowed from the same heart, good and evil, right? In our culture, we look down on rebellion, but we applaud a lot of times religion and good deeds. Um, but they had a problem because they both came from the same source and they have the same focus. The focus of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is always me. It's always self, okay? The tree of life, with the tree of life, you offered nothing. Uh, it was all completely one-sided. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't work it up. You couldn't pull it down. All you could do is receive it. Jesus is our tree of life, right? All you can do is reach out your hand and receive it. The tree of life had one focus, God's abundant provision. Jesus is our tree of life. So Jesus is the focus of the gospel and of that tree. And so um, as we look at that, I, I, I like to, to frame it that way and see Jesus as that tree, the one who provided everything that we needed in our position in him is to reach out and receive and take what he has given us, to enter into what he has done, to enter into his labors. Um, and that's a different, uh, that's quite a different message uh, that the gospel proclaims. And uh, I think it takes, let me say it different. I think it takes a radical shift in our mindset and the way we think to live and receive and uh, walk in the fullness of the gospel and apply it to our lives, to our marriage, to our finances, to our life, to our business, to everything we do. That's the goal. At least that's my goal in life. I want the gospel to permeate every area of my life. So with that being said, I love this statement. Um, you guys have heard me say this, but I'm going to say this one again too. Uh, 
John, uh, or Elijah when he came, what was Elijah known for? Miracles. He was a prophet that did some of the most and greatest miracles recorded in the Bible. John the Baptist, when he came, it said he came in the spirit of Elijah, right? Did he do any miracles? Kind of interesting, right? He came in the spirit of Elijah, but he did no miracles. I've heard it said this way, and I agree with it. Why? Well, because the miracle was in the message and the one he proclaimed. The miracle is in the message of the gospel, right? Think on that a little bit. That'll whet your appetite. So I got to thinking last week, I was thinking about, I had a guy come work on my pool and he had the bracelet on, WWJD, right? We've all heard that. What would Jesus do? And so that's great, and I don't have a problem with that, but I was thinking on that. I thought, what would Jesus do? Okay, and I was thinking, if you don't have the right position, that might launch you into working for a position rather than living from a position. And so I was like, you know, it really ought to be WDJD. What did Jesus do? If we understood what Jesus did, we would then be qualified to say, what would Jesus do in this situation? But if I'm always living out of what would Jesus do, it's launching me into works, and I may not be working from a position of the finished work of Jesus, and I may be producing dead works rather than good works. But if I'll vertically position myself through what Jesus did, then I can live from a supernatural empowerment where it says God gives me the desire and the empowerment to carry out the works that he did. So I would say, let's start saying WDJD, what did Jesus do? And then we'll know what would Jesus do in our given situation. <laughs> it sounds like you guys like that. I was, wanted to try that out on somebody. <laughs> see see if, it, if it bared witness. What did Jesus do positions you vertically to carry out the horizontal good works that God has ordained for your life? Um, so the text we're going to read from today is John chapter 6. I think we're doing okay, even though we've got short time here. All right, so John chapter 6, verse 1. And we're going to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. <clears> After this, these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Jesus went up the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that we may, that these may eat? But he said to he said to te, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. How you doing? One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. So you had in the women and children. You had a lot of people. Verse 11, And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Verse 12, so when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled the baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men 
when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So, the feeding of the 5,000. I've always loved this story, and I know you guys have heard this before, so hopefully uh, we'll hear it again for the first time and hear some new stuff. But one of the first things I thought was interesting, you know, he, it's getting ready to be the feast of Passover, and, and Jesus is declaring himself that I am the true Passover. He ascends up the mountain and is seated, right? Which is a picture of what he's about to do in the heavenlies. And then he asks his disciples, he said, where should we get bread to feed, you know, uh, feed these? So I'm going to point out a few things about the story and then we'll dive in and, and talk about it. I think it's really interesting, the boys who had the small lunch, you know, like the obscurity of a small lunch. He brought five loaves and two fish, you know, whether he prepared it or his mom prepared it for him, that it was even recognized that, hey, there's a boy here. You know, what do you got, seven or 8,000 people with, with uh, women and children probably. He goes, well, there's a boy here. You know, the, the, the hint or the uh, reluctant faith of one of his disciples to say, there is a boy here that has a little lunch, <laughs> but what is that among so many, Right. Reminds me of the mustard seed, you know, the small seed of faith that turns into the greatest tree, the greatest plant. And so I got to thinking about this small lunch that became large enough to feed all who were hungry. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The obscurity of the Messiah's birth, born in a manger as a helpless child, Jesus came. As a man, the word says he was a man of no reputation. It was said, what good could come out of Nazareth? Right? So I was thinking, wow, there's something here. Um, so he came lowly, Jesus came lowly, and he became the bread of life, the only one who could eternally satisfy everyone who was hungry, hurt, lost, broken, every soul that would come to him. So this small lunch is, is, is a representation of Jesus, the bread of life, the gospel, the good news of Jesus that fed this hungry crowd. And it was a picture of, of, of Jesus and the gospel that was coming that would feed every hungry soul for all of eternity. So it's, it, I just thought it was really interesting and really incredible that this obscure small lunch is mentioned, and then I thought of the Messiah's birth, just how amazing that was and how amazing it is. <clears throat> what started small and obscure became greater than anyone could have ever imagined. Isn't that good? I remember a while back, Deadly taught a teaching I particularly remember. He said, you'll never see the big flash of light unless you look for the small flicker, and you'll never hear the whisper of God unless you can look past the shout, you know, all, all the things shouting and screaming for your attention. So um, that bears witness, and I just thought that was really good. I want to say this. This came to me while I was preparing this. The danger is not the size of your need or your problem today. The danger is, will you bring what you have to the Lord and place it in His hands? That's the question. The size of your problem, if you're breathing and you're here, is, is not the issue. The issue is, will you bring what you have to the Lord? Will you bring your five loaves and your two fish that seem so small among something so great? Will you do that today? That's the question. The greater the need, the greater the grace abounds. Even if you look at the two stories of the 4,000 that were fed and the 5,000, when there was 5,000, there was 12 baskets of leftovers. When there was 4,000, there were seven. And I know the numbers are significant, 12 and seven, but the greater the need, the greater the grace abounds. That's the great thing with God. We don't have to hide and shame our neediness. We can just open it up and expose it. And no matter the need, he says, come boldly to my throne of grace so that I can give you grace and mercy to help you right now in your time of need. Well-timed help. 
And so that's what's available today for us in Christ. Thank God. So two strategies, I'll throw out there, two primary strategies of the enemy in our lives. One is to keep you from coming. If he can keep you from coming to the Lord, he's got you. If he can keep you from coming, you have no hope. Or if you think, I can't come to God with this again. Or how can I come to him again? I failed again. Right? It takes faith just to come. Hebrews says, to come, you have to believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. If you don't know what to say, and all you got is groaning and utterance, man, that's a good place to be. Come. Come to the one who's able to do all things. So the first strategy is he tries to keep you from coming by accusing you through all kinds of different things. The second is to get you introspective, to get you focused on self, right? Focused on your own ability. Or I remember one time I was praying and the Holy Spirit said to me, he said, when are you going to stop praying lame prayers? And I thought, wow, doesn't sound quite as comforting as I expected your voice to sound. But he said, you're praying things that you could accomplish on your own on your best day. When are you going to start praying for things you couldn't accomplish in your own ability? When are you going to start stepping out into areas where you'll fail unless I show up? I thought, okay, well, <laughs> I looked up the definition, and I looked up the definition of the word lame, and the word lame is to impair movement. And I was thinking, I'm impairing his movement in my life because of my understanding. And I thought, Lord, I repent of that. Man, I just want, I, I want to, I, throw me out there, man. I want, I want to have some real areas where if you don't show up, I'll fail so you can show up and get the credit. So sometimes our situation, we don't like the big battles, but um, there are opportunities for God to show up and for his grace to abound. And if it's a sin issue, the word says where sin abounds, the grace of God super abundantly abounds. So why not all the more should we come to him? Right? Does it mean he's approving of it? No. But does it mean we can come to him with it? Yes. Because he's the only one who can set you free from it. <laughs> Amen? <clears throat> all right. So the second was, and I already touched on this, but I think it's funny, the hint of faith of the reluctant disciple who says, you know, one of them says, man, even if we had 200 denarii, we wouldn't have enough to buy food for all these. And then one of them goes, well, there is a boy here who's got a lunch. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of lobbing it out there. Ah, but what's that among so many? <laughs> Man, if that's all the faith we have today, a mustard seed of faith, he said that mustard seed grew into the greatest plant over here, right? Even the measure of faith we have is simply something God gave to us. It's not something, it's not a work that we generate. Now, faith like working out at the gym, there's resistance training. You can grow your faith. But even the measure you have, God gave to you as a gift. And so we come to him with that, with that faith. Um, I, I love how he said that they brought the bread to the Lord. And when the Lord took hold of the bread, he, he gave thanks to God. He blessed it. He broke it. He multiplied it. And he fed all who were hungry. Is that not exactly what the father did with Jesus? The first day of his ministry, he said, that's my son. He blessed him with whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. At the cross, he, 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 he broke him, right? And through his resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit, he multiplied him. The greater work to as many as would believe. It says to those who would believe that out of their hearts would flow rivers of living water. That you would have a superabundant spring that would never fail. That you could drink forever. If you haven't thought about that, we should think about that. Because his supply is unlimited. It is endless. It is more than we could imagine. And <clears throat> thank God. So we are to be, it says, all to be channels of blessing. Like that our life, we should be channels of blessing with the river of God flowing through us, with his river flowing out of us. Sign me up for that. That's what I want to be. 
<laughs> so that's what he said we are. So a lot of times the only thing that hinders that, that, that river is us, you know, <clears throat> our understanding or our, our uh, sometimes wrong thinking or wrong believing. All right. Um, here's one that I, I really wanted to hit on today that I thought was really good. Um, so I like when he said, make them all sit down. I'd never seen that before when I read that story, but Jesus said to his disciples, have them, have them, make them all sit down. And I thought, wow, that's an interesting statement. And it says, once they were seated, they were given as much as they wanted, as much as they desired. I don't know about you, if I had five loaves and two fish, I'd be like, don't be reaching in there for, for seconds. I gave you a, you know, <laughs> you're going to have this much, so we got enough for everybody. If there's, I'd be telling my kids, if there's enough for everybody, then you can come back for more. He said, no, when they were seated, they could have as much as they desired. So they had to be obedient first before they get what they want. Well, here, let's just look at it. I'll just take it straight out of the story. I thought this was a really interesting part of the story, too. When I, and I'll, I'll dive in and answer that question. But um, go back to chapter 6, um, verse 10. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, is verse 11. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. I would, of course, say it was related to the blessing. That what he blessed and broke was enough to feed as many. Just as Jesus was blessed and broke and would feed every hungry soul that would sit down and enter into his work and his finished work. But we'll get to that. Um, so Jesus is, where is he now? Seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Where are you right now, according to, to, to seated next to him, right? We're seated in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So I was thinking, wow, there's, there's something to this seated thing. And so I, I just kind of had, follow me on this flood of thought that I feel like the Holy Spirit brought to me. He said, David wanted to build me a house. You remember that? I said, yeah, I remember that. He said, I had to tell him to sit down. He said, I told David, you can't build me a house till I first establish your house. Once I establish your house and you've sat down, then you'll be fit to stand up and I'll let your son build me a house. That's some good, that's good right there, isn't it? <laughs> he said, Peter, go ahead. Amen. Yep. Busy doing God's work and nothing, nothing mm. good per se comes of it. Yeah. But when I, in a sense, sit and, and, and allow God yeah. to do what He is continuing to do, then it's miraculous. It's a good word, Lupe. And that's, for me, one of the ways God communicated that to me. I was on a trip with my family, and my kids and I were playing in the lazy river. And He said, What I want you to do when, in terms of sitting down is just lift up your legs and let the current carry you. And he said, once you've got comfortable there, he said, then begin to swim with the current. And I was like, wow. And he goes, when you're swimming with the current, you can go faster and further than you could have in your own ability. And that's what it's like when you in, enter into my work, when you rest in me. Um, so that's a good picture. So Peter, right? Peter, Jesus came and said, I'm going to wash your feet. And he said, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. 
And he goes, well, then I, you can have no part of me. He said, okay, you better wash those feet, right? So he sat down. He said, Peter, sit down so I can wash your feet. Yeah. And then we know. And then we know, right? They wash the other's feet. But he needed to first sit down and have his feet washed. Uh, Mary and Martha, another wonderful example. Mary chose to sit down. Martha was always standing up. And what was said of Mary? It says she chose the one thing that would not be taken from her, the one thing that would remain, because she sat at his feet. Amen? So that's an invitation for us to sit down in Jesus, to sit down with him. We don't need Moses to climb up the mountain for us anymore. We have an invitation to climb up the mountain and see the glory of the Lord and the light of the face of Jesus Christ and then release him to our families, to the people, and to the garden of influence God's given us. So that's good news. You know, I think it's funny. Um, in the world, we say, Nathan, are you sitting down? And you're like, oh, man, here we go. Bad news is about to hit me, right? But in the kingdom, God says, I got good news. You sitting down? <laughs> right? Totally flip-flop. He says, man, are you si sit down. I got some good news for you. <laughs> so, you know, in the world, uh, I in the world, sitting down represents bad news, loss, pain, lack, you name it. In the kingdom, sitting down represents gain, peace, rest, abundance, and good news. Amen? So one of my other questions for you men today is what keeps getting you out of your seat? What I know for Abraham, it was Hagar, right? Now, I say I should give a little more background than that. Abraham had a promise that he would be given an error, right? And that error was Isaac. But rather than waiting on God's fulfillment of the promise, he got into human effort, man fulfilling the promise. And Hagar brought, got brought into the equation and he slept with Hagar to try to bring forth the promise rather than resting in the promise and brought forth an Ishmael rather than the Isaac that was to come, right? So that's what got Abraham out of his seat, was waiting on that promise. What got Eve out of her seat? Well, believing that maybe God was holding out on her. Well, if you eat that fruit, you'll be like God. Did he really say? She took the fruit. This one really has, I've been meditating on this one a lot among men. I, I want to share this, and I'll spend a little time here for a minute. Uh, Bathsheba got David out of his seat. And there's plenty of reasons, I'm sure, for it. But I was thinking about the rebuke that he got for his sin with Bathsheba. And the prophet came to David and he tells him, you guys are familiar with the story, most of you guys. So he comes to him and he gives him this example of this man and his sheep. There was a poor man who had one sheep. He loved it, cared for it, slept with it, just pampered it. Then there was a rich man who had many sheep. And one day he had a guest in town. And instead of taking from his abundance, he went to this poor man, took his sheep, slaughtered it. And David said, I'll kill that man. And the prophet goes, you're that man. And he goes, oh, I've sinned against the Lord. But what got me was this. The prophet says on behalf of God, have I not delivered you from your master Saul? Did I not anoint you as king over Israel? Did I not give you the house of Judah and of Israel? And if it were not enough, would I, if you would have asked, would I have not have given you much more? So I've always wondered, what would the much more have been like? He partook of Bathsheba, but what would the much more have been like? Since God is the fulfiller of the desires of our heart, if we go try to fulfill them in the lust of the flesh, we know what can happen. But if we would go to the one who created the desire, he said, I would have gi I've given you all, I gave you the kingdom. And if that weren't enough and you would have came to me, I would have given you much more. What an invitation. I've taken that very literally. Like if I, when I see something and I lust for it, I go to the Lord and say, you created this desire, you fulfill it. That's really helped me. I'll throw that out. But 
Um, I think that, I just think that's an amazing statement. So uh, if when we're, you know, what's getting you out of your seat? And are we looking to him? Are we looking to Jesus? You know, the cool thing, there's a pastor, he says it this way, and I really like it. He said, you know, the law placed demands on you, but grace supplies the demand, right? The law demands righteousness, but grace supplies the righteousness. The law sees every sin, but grace declares, I've forgiven your sin and I see them no more. I mean, that's the goodness of God that we have in Jesus. That's why it's a gift and not a wage. That's why uh, it's, he, he's called the indescribable gift. And so that's good news. <clears throat> For me, uh, I'll share something that got me out of my seat the other day. The condition of the world and all that's happening from the Supreme Court ruling to the wars and terrorism and all the, all the evils of the world, right? You can get overwhelmed really fast, especially if you got any kind of social media. <laughs> you can hear about every bad thing that's ever happened, every moment of, the, of history. And so I remember I was sitting at my desk one day, and uh, I was just overwhelmed with anxiety and and I guess you'd say fear and just burdened. And I thought, have I done enough? And are my kids ready to meet you, Lord? Just that's what rolled out of my mouth. And immediately, Corey and I share an office together. So I hear Corey's deep voice going, man, you need to repent. <laughs> and I go, you're right. And so I did. I repented. And, and I said, Lord, that was wrong. And he goes, yeah, it was. He said, the question isn't, have you done enough? The question is, was my sacrifice enough? And is what I supplied in my son enough for you? And I thought, Lord, yes, it is. And I can rest in that. Thank you, God. And so um, that got me back in my seat. So we need to hear the gospel over and over and over again, because I think our, our human nature by default, you know, is to jump into that position and say, have I done enough? Have, you know, those kind of questions, those kind of things. <clears throat> um, one thing I, I, I like and that I wanted to say today is you're not, fit, you're not fit to stand up until you first sat down in the finished work of Jesus. If you haven't sat down in the finished work of Jesus, you're not fit to stand up. Another way I'd say that, it would be believing and being will produce the doing, but doing will never produce believing and being. <clears throat> just some, a thought about that, you know, about doing and being. Uh -huh. Just something that came to mind. Uh, when we're just doing, or working from just understanding, just pure knowledge about something. But when you're being, it's a heartfelt thing, it's a belief. Mm -hmm. and belief comes from the heart, understanding comes from your mind. And so uh, belief moves you to the right action. Understanding may just move you to action, but belief uh, will move you to the right action. Amen. Great example of that. If I threw out Tiger Woods, what would you say? I'm nobody. Golfer, right? Well, that's what he does. That's not who he is. You know, like I could throw out an athlete, any athlete. He's, I mean, oh, yeah. Well, you know about him, but yeah. do we really know him? <clears throat> Just giving an example of what Gerald said. That was good. So um, uh, another scripture in Galatians in the message translation I, I like, it says, to do, to be right with God, is the opposite of entering into what Christ has already done. 
to do to be right with God is the opposite of entering into what Christ has already done. So enter in today. Look to him. <clears throat> Here's my questions, and we'll stop here and dialogue some because uh, I know we, we're a little short on time today. But I think we're doing good. Um, have you brought what you have to the Lord? That's a personal you know, question that only we can answer individually. Have you sat down and rested in the finished work of Jesus? And just so you feel okay with this, we're all learning to sit down in areas of our life because we all got some religion in us. And if you don't or didn't think of it, I would encourage you to ask the Lord, what areas do I need to sit down in? And he'll show you. <clears throat> and the last one is what keeps getting you out of your seat. I think it's Romans 12, 1 or 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, and it goes on and on. But I just want to start with, it says, look, looking, which means an unbroken focus, to look away from your circumstances, to look away from your abilities, to look away from the accusations, and just to look and lock your eyes on him. The word doesn't say you're changed by what you do. It says you're changed by seeing him. When we see him, we're changed from one degree of glory to another. What if we just had eyes to see him? How, how different would our lives be? So that's my encouragement to you. is isn't go figure out how to do something different. It's to look to him. And whatever it is you, that, that's getting you out of your seat, look to him. And before you know it, you're going to fall back down and you're going to find that your chair is pretty comfortable. <laughs> Amen. I'll throw that out. You guys can comment, question. I got some crazy or marinate. <laughs> I got some crazy old wisdom. I was thinking about it. You said, uh, "Do we bring the question? Do we bring what we have to Christ?" And my dad asked me one day at the church. He says, "What's your name?" I said, "Foster." He goes, "No, that's what Mama call you. What's your name?" I said, "Foster." He goes, "No, that's what your Mama call you. Calls you anything she want to call you. You are. Let me help you a little bit, son." I am. Mm. And, I, and he said, now anybody else say that? I said, well, yeah, God, you know, he told Moses to tell Pharaoh I am. So, you know, and that's, that's all we got when you think about it. And if we got more than that, we might say it. And then somebody might know that we're lying. <laughs> so, and that kind of took me so deep, I just had to throw that out there for whatever it does. It's good. Well, it's like the covenant and with... Abraham, originally, when he cut the, everything in pieces, and they, it says the smoking oven and the burning bush passed through the pieces together. It's representative of our covenant, God the Father and God the Son. God the Son keeping man's side of the covenant came together. So when you present I am to I am, you have what you asked for, right? I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's good. Good stuff. Thank God that Jesus... Amen.
Oh, wow, that's good. Oh, that's a good word right that's there. Good. Say that again. You were looking Give us that wisdom again. That was stress a tree. R-S-C. Stress. Stress. When you put it under stress, it will not produce as it could. Wow. If it has everything it wants, it is not stressed. If you put it in a greenhouse and you give it everything it wants, it's never stressed. If you put it in a hot place and you make it start stressing, it won't produce. Mm. It's a, it's relaxed to your point. Dang, Doyle, that's good. Yeah, so I, that's beautiful because I see that what the scripture says, in Christ. Absolutely. And like you say, in the greenhouse, in Christ is where I will produce. You know, John 15 right. talks about abiding. He said, you know, abiding mm-hmm. means So you need to teach us out of John 15 and apply your real farming techniques, man. That's good right there. That makes me think a lot of stuff. It says we'll bear fruit in season and out of season, in the desert and in famine. That's what the Word says. Psalms 1 says, when the Lord's your shepherd, you shall not want any good thing. I remember this came to me one day. I thought when the Lord was all I had, he became all that I wanted. When he became all that I wanted, how had to go? When, when he was all I had, he was all that I needed. When he became all that I needed, he became all that I wanted. When he was all that I wanted, I had no more want or something like that. But it's true. In him, there's no, no lack, no want. A couple of years ago, maybe, give or take, maybe a little longer, I was concerned about, and you used the term, have I done enough, God? And I was concerned that way, and I was thinking, I really have done enough. I've failed in so many areas. Like that, God said, I don't, Daryl, I don't count your failures. Mm. I count your success. Amen. And it just picked me up out of that poor, pitiful pity party I was having. Amen. And I've got that in my email if you've noticed, but it really reminds me, he really not, he, he's not looking at the negative, mm. he's looking at the positive. If, yeah. I keep my, if I can keep my seat in the positive, but you go back to what, what's the enemy doing? Trying to get us two ways, trying to get us, as, and that's one of them. Yep. Focus on me. That's why, you know, the two trees, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the yeah. tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil will produce a Pharisee or an addict. Yeah. It'll, perverse pri- it'll, it'll produce pride or, or defeat. You know, hopelessness or, or, or self-righteousness, right? Yeah. Whereas the other tree is faith righteousness. It's the gift of God. It's, yeah. Yeah. One. Yeah. One. Can we focus what we have? That's right. The one tree is self-consciousness. The other tree is God-consciousness. I mean, it's. Another way of seeing that is, you know, you have we have a choice, life or death. Yeah. One of, the things I, one of the things I love about that, uh, Genesis 3 is where the fall happens. 
first book of the Bible, third chapter, their nakedness is exposed. And then their nakedness forces them out of the presence of God because God didn't want them to eat the tree and be locked in that state forever. He seals off the, the gate and the entrance with an with a, a angel with a flaming sword that's planted this way in the shape of a cross, set ablaze by the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of the end from the beginning. And then you go to Revelations, the th last book of the Bible, the third chapter, Laodicea. He said, you think you're rich, poor, and have need of nothing, but I say you're miserable, poor, blind, wretched, and naked. So he exposes their nakedness, but instead of pushing them away, he comes to the door of the heart and knocks and says, if you'll just come to me, if you'll just open the door, I'll come in. So that's pretty good news when it comes to our need and our nakedness, just to say, come in, Lord. Man, I need you. I need that gold that's been refined in the fire. I need that, that robe that brings righteousness. I need that ring, that authority, those, you know, so. God's given you a gift of making this story simple. Hmm. It is a simple story. God's given you a gift of presenting it and making it simple. Thank you, Gerald. It's just a marvel. Amen. It's a marvel. Well, I always said I could share my testimony in one verse. God uses the foolish things of this world that confound the wise. <laughs> so, you just set me up with that one, Gerald. Thank you. I appreciate you.